Welcome to Turning Point. The new year is almost here, and you might be one of the millions planning to change some part of your life. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah has a question to consider as you move forward. Are you calling on God first, or are you just asking Him to bless what you've already planned? With some inspiration for the new year, here's David to introduce his message, What is Your Life? And thank you for joining us. Uh, the first uh, daily broadcast after Christmas. I hope you're still holding together and uh, ready to walk into this interim period between now and New Year's Day as we prepare our hearts for 2022. Can you say that? 2022 is here, just a few days away. And what better could we do than to examine the Scripture and find principles that will help us enter into the new year with our hands up high? Uh, let me just remind you of this before we go any further. Even though we're past Christmas and we have these few days left, these are still the days of the devotional that we offer every year during the last month of the year. This year, Every Day with Jesus is the title of the devotional, and it is devotional readings for every day of your coming year, insights for growing as you walk with God. It's a soft leather, beautiful, of 390-page devotional that you will love. And the beauty of it is it's perennial. That means when you get it, you can start the day you get it, and you'll be fine. Just go the, through that all the way through, and you can go till the next year where you left off. So uh, we want you to have this. We also want you to use this as a reminder that Turning Point needs your help at the end of the year. This is a very important time for us. This is one of our in-gathering months, and uh, I'd just like to encourage you to do your best, give your best gift for this year and time to help us as we move into this new year with all the opportunities that are before us. I hope you will take time to do that today by sending a gift to Turning Point and asking for your copy. Well, from James chapter 4, here's the first message of this in-between week. What is your life? As we begin this new year together, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about it really seriously. Are you going to follow Jesus, or are you going to ask Jesus to follow you? You say, why would anybody ever think of asking Jesus to follow them? We do it all the time. We make our plans, and then we say, Lord Jesus, would you bless this? This is what I'm going to do, and it would sure be nice if you'd smile on it. This is what I've set out, and I'd like for your favor, if that's all right. In essence, we're saying, Jesus, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I want you to follow me with your blessing. We have a choice to decide, am I going to follow Jesus, or am I going to ask Jesus to follow me? James is writing to what theologians call the diaspora, the scattered Jews, these Jews who had become Christians were scattered throughout the whole area, and James writes this letter, the book of James, to them. And in this letter, he's going to deal with an issue that has become apparent to him, and that is that many of these believers who have come out of Judaism into Christianity have started to live their lives as if God did not exist. They were going on with their plans, doing their business, doing their thing, and God wasn't in the picture. And here in the fourth chapter of James, the author is reminding his readers that while they cannot predict the future, they must learn how to plan for it. They should not plan their lives without taking God into consideration or presume upon a future that they cannot control. They must not convince themselves that they are sufficient to face life 
in their own wisdom and in their own strength. James warns his readers about three things they do that will get them into trouble with God. There's some kind of in-your-face grace from James, some exhortation, some warning. But don't allow those warnings to discourage you because James puts it all together for us at the end. He tells us that if we're not careful, even as followers of Christ, as were the scattered Jewish Christians to whom he wrote his letter, if we are not careful, we can just do life as if God wasn't in the process. The first thing we can do if we're not careful is to do life without God, James 4.13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. This whole fourth chapter of James is about believers trying to live their own lives in their own sufficiency and not trust in God. James is excoriating these Jewish business people for doing their own thing and divorcing God from the whole process. While these merchants are to be blamed for leaving God out of their plans, they are never faulted for planning There's nothing in the Bible that says we shouldn't plan. Nothing is said that would lead us to believe there's anything wrong with planning. In fact, in many ways, if we look at what we're going to examine today, this is kind of like a model business plan. The problem wasn't in what the merchants did, it's in what they didn't do. Their wrongdoing was a sin of omission. They omitted God from the process. And they stepped out to do their own thing, like we do sometimes. We do what we want to do, and then we ask God to bless it. Notice what you can do without God. Sometimes we say, well, doesn't the Bible say, without me you can do nothing? Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't get up in the morning, you can't go to bed at night, you can't eat your dinner. Obviously, you can do some things without Christ. That verse simply means without Christ you can't do anything that has any eternal perspective. But you can do some things without God, even as a believer, And here are some things you can do without God, according to James. You can make plans without God. Today or tomorrow, they said, we will do this. We will do our thing today or tomorrow. A good business plan needs to have some flexibility, and they've built some in. They're either going to do it today or tomorrow. And then you can not only make plans without God, but you can mark places without God. We will go to such and such a city. They sat down. They said, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city. And you can make plans without God. You can mark out places without God. You can even do something better than that. You can decide when you're going to go and where you're going to go. And then you can decide how long you're going to stay there. You can manipulate periods without God. Notice the next phrase in the verse is spend a year there. These Christians, these business people, these new followers of Jesus Christ had decided that they could complete their business in a year and they assumed that they would be able to stay the course and when the year was done, they were going to come home. Now, this is pretty specific. On such and such a day, we're going to go to such and such a place and we're going to stay for such and such a time. Notice number four, they could manufacture purposes without God. We're going to buy and sell. Interesting little phrase from the Greek language. It's the word emporomai, from which we get the word emporium. And an emporium is a word that means to travel to a place for the purpose of doing business. 
So they were going to go to this city. They were going to set up their business. They were going to stay for a year. All of this is in their plan. And notice they're not done yet. They're even going to measure their profit without God. And we're going to make a profit. These merchants were passionate about profit making. I mean, that's the whole reason why they travel, why they traded, the reason why they lived. And James is not saying he shouldn't try to make money if you're in business. He's not against the desire to make money. What he is saying is that planning that leaves God out is planning on human ingenuity alone, and it will fall short of everything God intended for your life. Making plans without God, marking places without God, manipulating periods without God, manufacturing purposes without God, and measuring profit without God. So we have to be careful that we don't do life without God. Now, these merchants did one other thing. They determined life without God. They had sort of a mindset that's pretty interesting, pretty arrogant, if you want to know the truth. Notice what they said in verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. In planning their lives, these business people had taken a lot for granted. They had made a lot of assumptions. Perhaps we should call them presumptions. First of all, they fail to comprehend the complexity of life. At this time each year, we're exposed to hours and hours of people telling us what to expect in the future. And we always smile at that because it's such a futile thing. Second thing they did, the second assumption they made or presumption was they failed to comprehend the uncertainty of life. These merchants could not possibly have known what they needed to know to make so bold a prediction. Their statement was raw arrogance. They said, we will go, we will stay, we will trade, we will make a profit. And the mention of a year's stay suggests both deliberate and calculated arrogance. They were going to go where they liked for as long as they liked. They were going to do what they did for as long as they wanted to do it. Their resolve, together with their refusal to reckon with death, has a very modern ring. I am the master of my fate, or... In Frank Sinatra's words, I did it my way. (laughs) The answer to life's uncertainties is not to pretend that we have all the answers, nor is it to become discouraged or cynical because it feels like we have none of the answers. No, the answer is to trust in the goodness of the one who does have all the answers. How foolish to trust in our own human abilities and not trust in the God who created us and knows the future like it was the present, because for him it is. And then, of course, the last thing they failed to comprehend was the brevity of life. In verse 14, James introduces one of the most profound questions of the Bible when he asks, what is your life? Now, when he asks that question, he's not asking, what is your life made up of, or what is the consistency or context of your life? He's asking a question about the duration of your life. How long does your life last? Someone has said he's asking about the dash between the date of your birth and the date of your death. What is your life? And then he answers it. He says, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. So when James says, what is your life? What he's asking is, how long does it last? Why would he ask that question in this context? Well, if you go off on a business trip that you're own doing and you leave God out of it, 
You can lose a whole bunch of your life in the process. Can I get a witness? And some of you have been on that journey, have you not? You've been on those detours that you get on when you don't reflect on how God wants to lead you. And you lose a whole bunch of that little dash that God has given you. What is your life? But the reason it's in the text here is because these business people were assuming that they had forever to do whatever they wanted to do and they could plan their future as if it was in their control. How many of you know we don't control life? Not any of us, not one of us. We lost some pretty important people in our culture. Not one of us has not been affected by the personal computer and one of the geniuses behind all of that's not here anymore. Worth billions and billions of dollars and couldn't buy one more minute to live. Not one. And none of us can. You see, Jesus tells a story in the New Testament about a very wealthy businessman who looked into the future and decided what he was going to do. This guy was a farmer, and he needed to build bigger barns. And the purpose of building his bigger barns is so that he could make more money, and he was going to (laughs) retire. You pick that up in Luke chapter 12 where he is saying, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, it's time to play. In the parable that Jesus tells, the man is called a fool. Not because he was planning for the future, but because he thought he was in control of it. On the very night when he had so carefully laid out his plans, he died. On that very night. And he became the fulfillment of the Old Testament proverb that says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. We can do a lot of things as Christians with God over here on the side of the stage. We can make plans. We can determine programs. We can make assumptions. The one thing we can't do is we can't control any of it. We're totally at the mercy of God for it all. So what should our attitude be as we face the uncertain days of the future? I think what the psalmist is trying to help us understand when he writes these words is very clear. Lord, Make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Or try this one, Psalm 90, verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What the psalmist is saying is this. It's good for us to see how brief life is so that we can appreciate every single part of it and never take even one day for granted. Amen? I find myself getting up now in the morning, and one of the first things I do is thank God for another day. Do you ever do that? God gives us each day as a gift from heaven. Thank him for the day you experienced before, the night of sleep that you enjoyed, but for the gift of a new day, because truly life is a gift from God. Needs to be treasured, needs to be appreciated, needs to be valued, but it should never be presumed upon because our life is in his hands. Now, there's some people that will take this information and they will use the brevity of life as a reason to snatch all of the pleasure out of it. They would say, well, you just live for such a short time, so go find a safe place, live in a bubble, don't ever do anything to put yourself in jeopardy, don't take any risks just because your life is so short. And then there are others who use the brevity of life as a reason to do nothing. And then there are others who use the brevity of life to go 
live it up high on the horse every night, every day, eat, drink, and be merry. (laughs) James tells us that the brevity of life is a reason to walk humbly with God. Just to walk humbly with him. Just every day walk with God and know this is God's gift to me this day. These moments are God's gift to me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this day. Finally, there's one last thing we can do without God. I told you there were three of them. We can do life without God. We can determine life without God. But here at the end of this text, we find these business people are describing life without God. Notice, but now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, the key to understanding why these Christian merchants were proud and arrogant is found in verse 16. They planned without God because they thought they were the masters of their fate. They presumed about tomorrow because they thought that nothing could happen outside of their control. They procrastinated because they assumed that they would be able to do tomorrow what they did not do today. In the Greek text, the word arrogance is in the plural, so that the sentence really reads like this. You boast in your arrogances. You were so proud of the fact of what you've done. I did it my way. I did it with nobody helping me. And in many cases, I did it without God. James does not stop there. He tells us how not to do life. And then he tells us how to do life. And the key to it is one little word. And if you ever mark in your Bible, this would be a good one to circle. It's the word instead. (laughs) Instead. It's the crowning point of the text. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Instead, notice verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Is that not what Jesus was teaching us in the Lord's prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done? If you have ever read letters that are old in a history book or in a gathering of letters that may have been given to you from your ancestors, you've probably noticed that on some letters there's a postscript, and it's the little words D period, V period, DV. Did you ever wonder what those letters meant? Well, let me tell you what they mean. They're words to introduce two Latin terms, Deo Valente. D-Deo V Valente. Do you know what that means? God willing. Deo Valente. God willing. So the old timers would write their letters and describe what they were going to do and they would end the letters with the little words, D-V. God willing. And that's what James says we should do as followers of Christ. We should make our plans. We should involve God in our plans and we should always condition our plans DV, God willing. If you study the New Testament, you will discover in the New Testament that there are many illustrations of living life like that. I went through the book of Acts and some of the epistles that Paul wrote, and I found, to my surprise, this little phrase kind of everywhere. For instance, Paul told the Jews at Ephesus that he would return for a renewed ministry among them if God wills. Acts 18.21. He wrote to the Corinthians that he planned another visit to them, if the Lord wills, 1 Corinthians 4.19, and that he would remain with them a considerate time, if the Lord permits, 1 Corinthians 16.7. 
And he inferred in his statement that he wanted to go to Philippi. He said he hoped in the Lord to go to Philippi. Over and over again, you get this little phrase, what was Paul doing? Here's one of the strongest, greatest leaders you will ever study in history, especially in Christian history. He's always conditioning his plans and his purposes on the will of God. I want to come to you if it's in the will of God. I want to stay with you if it's in the will of God. I want you to grow in your faith and be mature according to Hebrews chapter 6, 3, if God permits. So we should pray that way. Instead of being arrogant and jamming our own plans in the face of God with a bold and arrogant request, Lord, this is what I'm going to do, and I'd appreciate it if you'd smile on it. We're to come to God humbly and say, Lord God, I want to do your will. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to know in my heart every day when I get up, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's one of the things I'm absolutely certain about. I don't have a lot of knowledge about it. I just know one thing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's a great, great comfort and encouragement. And every one of us can know that if we will submit our lives to the will of God. We won't all be preachers or teachers or singers or leaders in a church. God doesn't call us to do that, but he calls each of us to do something And when we submit our lives to the will of God, we end up doing what we're supposed to do. And let me tell you something I've discovered. What these businessmen had planned to do for a year and make profit was nothing compared to what God wanted to do for them if they would have just submitted their will to him. Do you know what's wrong with our plans? They're too skinny. Our plans are too inadequate. The plan that God has for my life is far beyond anything I could ever dream for my life. And the same is true for you. So why would you enter into the new year and say, Lord God, this is what I'm going to do and I'd appreciate you help in doing it. Instead of saying, Lord God, I know you have something great that you want to do in my life this year and I'm willing to do it. Just show me what it is. And together we're going to have an incredible year encourage you to put God in the planning process and to recognize that his plan for you is above and beyond anything you could ever ask or think. But we have to do it our way. And when we do, we diminish God's impact in our life and we lose the adventure and the excitement and the joy of serving the living God. So I want to ask you again, this year, Are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to ask Jesus to follow you? And I trust that you will ask God what he wants to do in your life. I can promise you one thing I know. It's always been true of me. Whatever I thought he wanted me to do, whatever my ideas were, my plans were always too small. They were always too insignificant. When I found out what God wanted me to do, I was totally astonished that he would allow me to be a part of something like that. Amen. Amen. It's not just for people like me. It's for all of us. If you put your life in his hands, he has a plan for you. And it will always be a plan that surprises you because God wants so much more for you than you want for yourself. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the inward journey. So often we, um, we coordinate our life with all the outward things tomorrow. And the next day we're going to talk about the journey inward, preparation for the new year. Hey, friends, don't forget, we're going to the Holy Land in March. Uh, As we end this year together and begin uh, 2022, 
uh, almost in our sight from the calendar of January 1st is March 22nd, and that's when we leave for Israel for our extensive tour of the Holy Land. If you haven't already signed up or if you haven't investigated this for yourself, your family, um, I hope you'll do that. Go to our website. You can find out all about it, davidjeremiah.org. Uh, there's a there's a clip there that will help you find out everything you need to know about the Holy Land Tour. We'd love to have you come with us. And then don't forget, just a couple of days left now be, before the devotional guide offer is gone. So in these next couple of days, make sure you send your year-end gift and ask for your copy of Every Day with Jesus. We'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series of special messages for the new year, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine turning points and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new 365-day devotional for 2022, Every Day with Jesus. It's filled with daily encouragement for 2022, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with helpful notes and articles from decades of study by Dr. Jeremiah. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue our special messages for the new year on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Introducing Dr. David Jeremiah's new 365-day devotional, Every Day with Jesus. Inside this beautiful leather-soft volume, you'll find 365 daily inspirational readings from Dr. David Jeremiah, paired with selected scripture to challenge and encourage you in your walk with God. Every Day with Jesus is yours this month in appreciation for your gift of any amount in support of this program. And when you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more, Dr. David Jeremiah will thank you with four copies of Every Day with Jesus, one to keep and three to share with others. Let this daily devotional inspire you in the coming year to live every single day with Jesus, for Jesus, and like Jesus. Request yours at davidjeremiah.ca today. That's davidjeremiah.ca. And thanks to a generous giving challenge through the end of the month, all gifts to the ministry are effectively doubled up to $200,000. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. In a book of quotations I read recently, I was shocked to discover two dozen quotes by famous people concerning the Bible. All the individuals quoted were deceased except for Billy Graham. And he was the only person speaking from a personal testimony of faith in God. The rest were from various areas of public life from prior generations. 
It made me wonder why so many business and political leaders from the past were willing to speak publicly about the importance of the Bible, and yet so few seem to speak up today. If you believe in the importance of the Bible in our society, make your voice heard. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the importance of God's Word on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.